Welcome to On the Line, a podcast for tennis players, coaches, and fans. I'm your host, Jenny Robb. Today on the line, we have Ollie Stevens. Ollie, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, yes. So tell us a little bit about your journey. You are from Wales, and you came to the state. So tell us a little bit how, about how you got here. Well, um, I was, I'm originally from Wales, from a, a huge town called Lantwitz Major. I'm actually just kidding there. It's got a population of about 7,000. Um, so I grew up in Wales uh, playing a lot of different sports and then uh, was lucky enough to come over to Hilton Head Island to do a uh, junior college degree in tennis club management. So Hilton Head's beautiful if anyone's been there in South Carolina. Um, and then I continued on to uh, play college tennis at Mount Olive in North Carolina. Excellent. Excellent. So what you said that you played some other sports and um, I know that you are an uh, ITPA master tennis performance specialist. And so going ahead and going right into that, you know, you played other sports. How did that contribute to your success in tennis? Massively. I mean, um, I wouldn't say I had much success in tennis as a player. So I didn't play on the pro <laughs> tour or anything like that. But, you know, I got good enough to come over here and play college tennis. Um, which was just, you know, a real that's, honor. And it was, good. it was, yeah, yeah it was good. It was good. It's, it was good enough. You know, it was good enough. Um, but I played a lot of sports growing up. So where I grew up, um, obviously in, in, in South Wales, which, uh, a lot of you would be like, Hey, where's that? Uh, it's, it's in Britain. <laughs> uh, it's a very small part of Britain. Um, we play a lot of soccer. Uh, we call it football. Uh, there's a lot of <laughs> rugby. I played a little bit of that in high school, but then it's, it's too many injuries. Um, I used to run track. Um, but I love, you know, more than anything else, I love, uh, you know, uh, racket sports. So I used to play a little bit of squash, which is kind of like racquetball. Um, and that's actually how I started playing tennis because the squash club that my father played for was next door to a little club in Lantwick Major that had four tennis courts and a little wooden clubhouse. And that's how I got started with tennis was actually through playing other sports. And there was a tennis club there and I thought I'd give it a go. So I started when I was 10 years old, which is a little late for some tennis players. But playing other sports, probably if I could give advice to a junior or really to, to anybody really, um, is, is probably uh, number one on my list of how to develop as a tennis player is to play other sports as well. Excellent. Um, do you have a favorite memory from tennis or sports you played? Um, yeah, obviously playing, playing team sports and playing tennis are two different things. Um, so uh, obviously playing college tennis was the highlight of my tennis playing career. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I enjoyed junior college more than my four-year school. We were just a lot closer um, as a bunch of guys. And we were actually, because of the, the uh, associate's degree in tennis club management, we were a pretty good team. So I actually played um, number five or six for my junior college and played two or three for my four-year school. Um, so my junior college was actually a much higher standard of tennis and the guys were a, a lot closer. Um, playing team sports, uh, so, so many memories growing up as a kid. Um, you know, we used to, uh, obviously, it's proximity to Europe. We used to go over to France a lot and play in soccer tournaments and rugby mm-hmm. tournaments and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. And I think, um, you know, being a multi-sport athlete, you know, you, you learn these, uh, a lot of values from playing team sports that you don't from individual sports and vice versa as well. It goes the other way as well. There's a lot that you learn from, you know, just playing for yourself in an individual tournament that translates to playing team sports as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say, um, and this sort of spans not just being a player, but also into the coaching realm and beyond, but what, what would be your proudest achievement? Um, so far in the tennis world? Well, definitely, I, I, you know, I was, I was thinking um, a little about this the other day, and it, I, I'll tell you what it's not, first of all, and I hate to sound negative, it's not coaching really, really good players. Um, right. Because I, I think a lot of coaches be like, yeah, you know, I used to work with this player and this player, and, you know, it's, uh, we, we've all, 
once you've been in the industry for 20 years, you know, we've all had a chance to work with some really good players. And I have mm-hmm. too. You know, I was, I was over in Hong Kong and, and, and in Vietnam. I worked with you know, some of their national uh, players and stuff like that. And, you know, I've worked with some very highly ranked juniors in America and, and stuff like that. But to be honest with you, like I said, you kind of, I wouldn't say fall into that, but it, it just happens a lot. So actually my proudest achievement of coach is, is uh, developing a love for the sport in kids or adults that actually might not be that good and kind of mm-hmm. making sure that they, they have the opportunity or the, or the will to play tennis for the rest of their life. So, you know, I've, I've had some players that have kind of, you know, they might be 11 years old and they turn up and like, I really don't want to do this. And, you know, and after, you know, a few months, they're like, this is like the best thing ever. And I can't wait to play tennis <laughs> for the rest of their lives. And, you know, they want to try and yeah. play, you know, division three college tennis and stuff like that. And that to me is, is the sign of a, of a good coach. Absolutely. It's, yeah. It's someone that's worked with lower level players and developed a love for the game. Not oh. necessarily, you know, I used to work with, you know, Dimitrov or stuff like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I think, I think that brings up such a good point is just as far as, as coaching and the impact that you can make on your players. I mean, it, it's not all about, oh, I have so-and-so that's ranked something and whatever and but it's it's the difference that you're making in people's lives, and if you can yeah. if you can cultivate that love of the game, like you're talking about, I mean that's that's massive. Yeah, and as you, as you know, and as most people listening to this podcast, you know, your tennis is, is a real kind of um, uh, it, it's a reflection on life, you know, on your values and stuff like that. And you've got to learn to be mentally tough and independent and organized and prepared and stuff like that if you want to go and play tournaments. And you know, stuff will happen that you don't like, and you have to learn how to deal with it. So it's it's, it's a real uh, you know it's, it's a metaphor for life as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, are you superstitious? My superstitious? Not really. Um, <laughs> as, a, as a player, I used to have a, a, I tell you what I'm superstitious about. It's got nothing to do with tennis. Is when I'm walking my dog, I can't step on cracks <laughs> on the pavement. So that I'm superstitious about. It's the only thing, the only superstition I have. Um, I, I, as a player, I had to have a new grip for every match. Yep. And I use okay. Torna grip and I've got to have a new grip for every match. Um, and as a coach, I wouldn't say I've got superstitions. I've kind of got standards. So one of them is being mm-hmm. on time. Or being early, I just I can't stand mm-hmm. it when coaches are late for lessons and you see them kind of rolling into the club 10 minutes late and they're not in a hurry. So I don't know if you could call that a superstition as more of a standard. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not really superstitious. I don't kind of have to, you know, um, do certain things before a match or during lessons. Right, right. So so dif- different from superstition, you, you said standards or, or rituals. I mean, did you have rituals that you would tell your players to do or that you did? Or Yeah, and I grew up, I grew, uh, grew up, as a, as a young coach, my first experience was at the Vandermeer Tennis Center because it was the same place where I went to junior college. So I got to work there and, and kind of see Dennis Vandermeer in his place. heyday. Oh, oh it was awesome. Goodness. And there's, you know, they were all about the 15-second cure there, mm. which was, I, I think it was um, Jack Groppel or Jim Lowe. I can't remember. Um, I, I, think I think it's Jim Lowe. I think it is. And he, you know, he had this, this the, the, at the time it was revolutionary, you know, take 15 mm-hmm. seconds in between points and put your racket in your non-dominant hand. <laughs> and when you walk into the back fence, you think about the point you played. And when you're walking back to the baseline, you think about the point you're about to play. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, even though now, you know, it's, that was 20 years ago, I still think it holds a lot of value for players. So I do kind of teach that as a, as a ritual mm-hmm. um, and making sure players are organized. So, you know, it, it's one of my pet peeves is, if I've got a player who's playing in a tournament, they turn up, they're like, I need a racket strung in the next half an hour. I'm like, well, you know, you've had a week to do right. that. You know, they don't have their water with them or stuff like that. They unpack their bag the night before. You know, it's so important. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you could call that a ritual or a standard. Yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just being prepared in general. Yeah. For yeah, sure. exactly. Um, so is there something that, that you do in every single, you know, junior or adult practice that, that you're teaching? Yes. Um, obviously, um, 
you know, being a member of the ITPA, which is the International Tennis Performance Association, and being involved with them, um, you know, I understand the importance of a, a, a very solid dynamic warm-up. Mm-hmm. So I make sure that is done, and the adults love it. Um, you know, the, the, the kids, you kind of have to get them through it. They, they're maybe not old <laughs> enough to see the importance of it, and, you know, they don't get injured as often. So why do I have to do this, you know? But the adults love it. So, you know, if you do this, you're going to reduce your chances of pulling a hamstring. You're going to be faster. You're going to be quicker, even as a, a 50-year-old, for instance. You know, so I, I make sure that there's a, a very solid dynamic warm-up. And then I'm not really one for winging it too much mm-hmm. during the actual lesson. So I'm not saying I come out with a detailed minute-by-minute lesson plan every, every time. I don't do that. You know, I do it sometimes if it's mm-hmm. a, a class I haven't taught before, a new bunch of people. I might come out with that. But, um, you know, I like to have a generalized plan. and know what we're going to work on that day. I don't like to go out and kind of see the kids hit a few balls and we're like, right, and I'm going to feed you a few and we kind of fall into a lesson. So I, I like to kind of know what we're working on before we get to the court for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested that you say that the, the, that the adults really took to it um, quickly. I'm interested only because, you know, in, in one of my experiences, um, I kind of went out with a ladies clinic and I was like, all right, you know, today we're going to do something a little bit different to start out. And, we're going to start with some lunges and we're going to do this. And about half yeah. of the ladies looked at me like I just, you know, yeah. you know it had come from Mars. But <laughs> yeah. was that a challenge to first kind of yes. sell the idea? Or, or Yes, I think you know, anything new you present to people um, is a challenge. And people, um, you know, they, they, they like uh, their comfort zone, you know, particularly adults. You know, sometimes they don't like being taken out of their own comfort mm-hmm. zone. Mm-hmm. And I think that the secret is to... Um, Make sure that you can justify what you're doing if you're doing something different, you know. So, in, in, with with some of my adult classes, you know, we used to do warm ups, and you know, they say, "Why? Why are we doing this?" And you can give them the reasons why. You know, you said injury prevention, and you know, you're going to move quicker around the court, and you're going to be more flexible, which will make you stronger. Blah blah blah. So, as long as you can justify what you're doing, and, and of course, you know, a dynamic warm up if it's a one hour adult clinic is, you know, five to eight minutes. You know, the mm-hmm. most you've got to make sure it doesn't last twenty minutes, and kind right, of they're sure. thinking this is really cutting into my head in time. Exactly. You know, so. Yep. And, and, and also maybe getting them into the habit of doing it themselves before the actual clinic. And I think there that's a really go. good feeling as a coach. Mm-hmm. If they're doing it themselves, you see them doing a good dynamic warm-up before they get to the court. You say, right now we can start hitting some balls straight away because I saw you guys warming up. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a huge point. And I, I always just, when you said that, um, our mutual friend, um, who's a great friend, Jim Harp, comes to mind. I mean, this was one of the standards of, of his program during the time that I was there. I mean, the kids would come and, you know, as kids, you know, are dropped off, you know, by their parents at different times, depending on, you know, what time school lets out or how far away you are from the club or whatnot. Um, you know, but the kids would get there and they would start doing their dynamic warm up. They didn't need a coach yeah. to tell them, okay, now go do this, now go do yeah. this. Yeah. So I think that, you know, like you're saying, once you sort of ease people, whether it's an adult or a junior, into this idea of, okay, if you don't want it to cut into your playing time, well, then come out and do yeah. it on your own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, that's, and that's, a sign of a good, that's a sign of a very good coach. Mm-hmm. And it's someone that's consistent with those standards. Because, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you kind of do it for a couple of weeks, and like, oh, we're going to skip the warm-up this week, guys. Let's just start heading from the service line. You know, they're going to be like, well, it's not really that important. But if you do it consistently right. week in, week out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because you're, you're setting the example of, you know, if you tried to do it and then you got pushed back and then you just – yeah. gave it up then yeah. maybe it wasn't that important but no if yeah. you're like if you stick to it and you try to instill it in your program and then it takes time then you go okay yeah no that was yeah. that was good thing to do <laughs> and you, you raise a good point there of um setting the example you see because you, you've got to do it with them as well 
You know, if you're like, right, guys, go ahead and do some lunges, you know, and you're standing yeah. on, the, on the service line checking your phone, you know, or something like that, it's, it's, it's a bit different. But if you actually do it with them, or if they see you doing it yourself sometimes before class or before lessons, it's going to make a huge difference. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, because people are watching what you're doing. I mean, exactly. it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, children, you know, they, they yes. look at what you're doing and they're going to copy you. Yes, you yeah. are being judged the whole time. You definitely yeah, are being I mean, judged. Constantly. Yeah. So, so you are from, you, you said, a small, a small place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you are now in Florida, you've been in Illinois, you've been in South Carolina, as far as just in the States, you've been all over the place, you know, all over the world. But what do you think we can do, um, here in the States to grow tennis just in general? Well, I think in the States for number, number one, um, the, 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 the tennis in the States is coming back. You know, I, I think um, I a little while ago, people not, might not have been able to say that. But if you look at what mm-hmm. the girls did this year, I'm talking about at a high level now. Mm-hmm. Um, look, look at what the girls did this year. They won all four junior grand slams, and it was four different girls mm-hmm. who did it. So that, And the boys aren't that far behind. Um, the boys have got some very good kids coming up as well. So I think in the States, A, that it, it's not as bad as some people say. And it's very easy um, as, a, uh, as a tennis coach or someone in the tennis industry to uh, look up at the USTA and say, oh, they're not doing a very good job. You know, I, I think they're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the USTA. I love the, the guys that work in performance. And I think the, the national campus is going to make a huge difference. Oh, I agree. Um, I think, uh, you know, we've got to get the best kids working together, which is yes. one of the points of, of the national campus yes. is getting the yes. best kids working together. If you look at it at a smaller scale, when I was working in the Midwest, there was a great bunch of kids that came up about, Four or five years ago, they're now about 18 or 19 years old. Um, so, for instance, we had um, uh, Gianni Ross, uh, who's, who's just taken a full ride to Ohio. Um, and uh, we got McNally. Um, so I think it's Christopher McNally, who uh, just, um, he went three sets with Tip Saravich in Oh, uh, yes, that's right. In mm-hmm. Cincinnati. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. John McNally. John McNally. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not Christopher mm-hmm. McNally. John McNally. No, no, no. Um, so there was a bunch of good juniors that kind of came up together, and they all practiced together, and they played a lot together. And excellence breeds excellence, you know. So why does um, Brazil produce so many soccer players? Because they all kind of grow up together. Why does New Zealand produce the best rugby players in the world? Because they all practice together. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. as, as, as we develop in this country and, and we see the results of maybe red, orange and green coming up and the, the standard just gets gradually higher, if we can keep everyone practicing together and not kind of separate and go their separate ways, um, we, we're going we're gonna to develop some players. Now, the difficult thing in this country is geographically it's so huge. That's right. So, you know, it, it, it is enormous. We've got 16 sections, and each section is probably bigger than Great Britain. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it really is. That's so right. It's, it's an enormous place. So, that's one of the challenges. I think that's the purpose of the national campus is let's get everyone together more often, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I think, I think one of the things that the, they've done so well at the national campus is invite the coaches. Yeah. Um, you know, to, so that they're not excluding the coach, just like you're not excluding the parent. You know, that mm-hmm. I think they, it was really well thought out yeah. from, from every side saying, yes, there's something for parents here. Yes, there's something for your coach. If you want to bring your coach from back home, you know, mm-hmm. yes, you know, come down. You know, we're not trying to say, you know, mom and dad can't watch or, you know, yeah. your coach, you know, your coach doesn't know what they're talking about. And you need to come down here. I mean, you know, so I think that they've yeah. done a really good job of being inclusive. They have. They have done a really good job. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of good coaches in this country, um, and, they're, and they're getting them more and more involved, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, how has your coaching style evolved? Um, well, as I'm getting older, you know, I'm pretty old now. Uh, <laughs> oh, four, four, 42 years old now. So um, definitely less talking. 
So, I, I, you know, I, I think back to lessons I gave when I was 22, you know, and I was probably, uh, you know, just talking away the whole time. So definitely a little bit less talking, more doing. Mm. Um, and this might sound counterintuitive or counterproductive, but I actually look a little bit less at the details of technique and kind of look at the big picture more. So, um, and, and, but particularly at movement and, and kind of teaching from the ground up, you know, teaching mm -hmm. a good base, and, you know, the, the qualities, the, the, the um, importance of footwork and, and loading up and movement and things like that. You know, instead of saying to, to, to my students, you know, your elbow needs to be at this degree at, at this stage, you know, adjust it by four degrees at this stage and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Because to be honest with you, it doesn't work like that. Tennis is an open skill sport. Correct. Every single every single shot you hit is, is slightly different. It's never the mm -hmm. same shot twice in a yep. row, you know. Yep. Yep. Um, so you've got to be able to adapt. So it's 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 a little bit more kind of game based and a lot more hitting live ball. You know, I used to feed a lot of balls when I was a young kid. Don't do that so much anymore, and, and, mm -hmm. and get the people playing out situations. And you know, if there's a glaring technical issue, you know, of course we'll spend some time to work on that. But sure. you, you've got to say to yourself, what is good technique? You know, what is it? So if you look at um, Nadal, would you really want your students following through over their head? But he's he's done okay. You know, he's won ten <laughs> French Open. So you know, who are we to kind of judge him on his technique when he's he's won so much? So right. it obviously works for him. You know, that's right. Um, so I, I love I love that you say adapt. You know, adapting to different players. You know, the way that they learn. And you, you made so many good points then. So what what do you think makes a great coach? What I think makes a great coach, um, definitely, um, number one is it's got to be fun uh, at mm -hmm. all levels. You know, if people mm -hmm. don't enjoy it, and unless you're coaching at the highest, highest, highest level, even then, you know, <laughs> I think most people have, would, would agree that they've got to enjoy it. So uh, anyone you're coaching, you want the kids, to, the kids or the adults to really want to come back next week or next mm -hmm. class. Mm -hmm. So they've got to make it fun. Um, I, I'm not for this coaching style of authoritative and kind of, you know, my way or the highway and shouting mm -hmm. at kids or even adults and stuff, it's, it's, it, it doesn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. um, so this, it's got to be fun. Uh, a good coach has to be patient, of course. Um, a, lot of, a lot of coaches have in the past been very good players um, and they might not understand how it takes someone six weeks or six months to learn a new grip on the forehand because it was so easy for them. Right, right. Um, so a good coach definitely has to have a lot of patience. Um, and, and we have to be able to or have the will to educate themselves um, all the time because the, the game does evolve and coaching styles evolve as well. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, going to seminars, reading a lot, you know, doing a lot of work when no one else is looking, you know, by yourself is, is, is really important for a good coach, I think, you know, if mm -hmm. you... If you've got a coach of um, a room full of 30 coaches, you know, I'd love to ask the question, what are you reading right now? You know, yeah, and see, see how many hands go up and, and, and see who's, who's doing what, you know, and I guarantee it, it's probably five of them will say they're reading a, a book about management styles or, you know, people skills or, or mm -hmm. coaching, you know, and stuff like that, which I think is, is really important to kind of keep educating yourself because there's so much information out there and there's, there's so much good information as well. There's no excuse not to have a wealth of knowledge these days. Is there, is there something you're reading right now? I'm actually reading a book on... That's a, that's a good comeback, because if I said no, I'd look terrible. <laughs> I'm actually reading the book by Chris Anderson on TED Talks. It's about public speaking. Oh, I have that book. Yeah, you I have haven't it. started it yet, but I have it's, it. It's, it's good. on my I, nightstand. Yes, yes. <laughs> I just I'll, finished... It's in the pile. <laughs> I just finished this book by Alistair McCaw and this other girl. I can't remember her name right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was decent. That was all right. <laughs> I've heard of Excellent. that one. You've heard, heard of that heard one. Of that one. Yeah. <laughs> so you also mentioned continuing education and, yeah. and, and its importance. And um, I mean, it's, it's very important to me. That's how I met you. 
Um, we were in the that's MOT right. class together. That's, that's, that's right. how we met, and I'm forever grateful for that. Um, so what, what types of continuing education do you do, and why is it so important to you? Um, there's, there's three seminars a year that I make sure I get to. So I get to the, the PTR, because I've been a member of the PTR for 20 years. Mm. So that's in Hilton Head. It's actually where I met my wife as well. Correct. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I, I think, you, I think were, you there, were you there that night? <laughs> Casino night. I think you were there. Yes, I was. Yes, you were there. So that's actually where I'm wife. She's a tennis coach as well. So I make sure I attend PTR. And it's also in Hilton Head. So it's kind of a bit of a homecoming for me because I've got a lot of friends that still live there and stuff like that. Um, so I make sure I, I, I attend the, uh, the PTR. Um, I, I uh, make sure I go to the ITPA mm-hmm. every year. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, in, that's in Atlanta. Um, I won't be attending this year, but I, I, I make sure I go to that every year. And then the STMS, the Society for Tennis and Medicine Science, oh, nice. is something. Okay. That, yes, that's that, that's one that's actually going to be. Uh, you can hit all three this year in one fail swoop because the STMS and ITPA have partnered up, and they're going to be uh, doing their their yearly seminar as part of the PTR symposium at the end of really? it this year at Hilton Head. So you can go to all three that. in the fantastic. same place. Okay. Yes, okay. you can go to all three in the same place wow. within a matter of days of each other. That's um, a really big deal. It is a big deal. Um, and it's, it's in mid-February. Um, and that's something that I'd recommend everybody go to. Now, the STMS, the Society for Tennis Medicine and Science, uh, the, a good friend of mine, Dr. Neil Giant, he's the head of that now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is way beyond tennis coaches. So you, you, know, you go in there and they're talking about uh, labrum tears and how to operate on them. And it's just kind of straight over your head. Um, and it just makes you realize um, how... Uh, smart some of these guys are that are involved in tennis but a lot of it is is uh very relevant to tennis coaches as well so mark mm. kovacs presents it and, you know my friend dr neil jackson and ben kibler who's quite well known in the tennis industry as well okay. um they all present um and, and and it's 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 got a lot of relevance and a lot of information you really wouldn't find elsewhere mm-hmm. in tennis coaches so um i'd rec- highly recommend those three so uh, those three are kind of my favorite um conventions to go to every year the importance of it for me, uh, um, it, you know, you can't even put a value on that. Uh, because aside, not, not aside some, from meeting your wife? Aside from meeting my wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> the importance of it is huge because, you know, you, you might go to, um, to see uh, Nick Boloteri speak. And you obviously get a lot out of that and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think mm-hmm. Judy Murray's at the PTR this year, I think. Mm-hmm, she is, that's um, right. So, so that would be awesome. You know, just, They're both going to be there, actually. They're both going to be there, that's right. Mm-hmm. But, but then you might go to, to a, uh, also at the same time, you might go to a, a talk by a 23-year-old and get some equally as, as, as kind of important out of it or, or valuable to you as well. So everyone's got something to offer. Absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's, it's really some of the, the biggest um, uh, coaching techniques and styles and tips that I've got have been from people that are actually not that well known, you know, That's so you right. just kind of go to them and you're like, that was excellent. You know, you taught me something that I really, it's a completely different way to look at it. Cause there's no one you know, there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat and, and you'd see someone else's point of view. Mm-hmm. Like I said, even though they might not be that experienced, they might have a really good point to make. So to go to those things and get to know those people and kind of pick their brains, I think you can't put a value on that. Oh, I, it's, it's so well said. Um, so you spent some time in Asia. Yes. Uh, can you tell us more about that? So I was in Hong Kong for a few years, and I was in Vietnam for a couple of years as well, for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Hong Kong, this is back in the early 2000s, and I think it was 2000 to 2003, 2004, something like that. So I worked for the Hong Kong Tennis Association, mm-hmm. um, which was great, and it was my first kind of time. Uh, or no, it wasn't actually because I went to college, but it was my first time to Southeast Asia, Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you know, people who are listening to this podcast 
who have been to Southeast Asia will know what I'm talking about when I say you just got to go. You can't describe Southeast Asia. <laughs> you just have to go. It's, it's so wild and so much fun. Um, so it, it, was, it was great fun being there um, and, and working with, with some, some very good players as well. Um, and working for a national, it was my first time working for a national association. Um, and then off to Vietnam. Um, and I worked with some of the Davis Cup players. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, so the Davis Cup team. And um, that, that was equally as fun as well. And the, the good thing about it was I got to travel all around that part of the world. Mm. Um, so to IT, so ITF tournaments and to some of the Grand Slams as well. Uh, but like I said, that's not necessarily what makes you a good coach. You know, I kind of right. you know, was there in that job and that's what it entailed. I'm not saying that was what makes you a, a, a good coach, but it was great. You know, we so, went to the Australian Open and stuff like that, which was great fun. When, when you did some of that, that traveling and you mm-hmm. would see some of the maybe younger players or younger Mm -hmm. kids that were attending or even the ball kids or or something Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, how do you feel about how the, you know, inspiration of attending something or, or going to a big sporting event and then you go, okay, you know, they did that. I want to do that. You know I mean? Yeah. Did you see that there? Yeah, I did. I did. It was quite interesting. I coached against Nishikori. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh really? He he was, yeah, we, we, uh, for, for Hong Kong played against Japan in the junior Davis cup. And he was um, he was well known then because uh, mm. he, he's about sixteen years old and people are like, oh, that's okay. that you know mm. that, that great Japanese kid who's going to be the future. He, he beat us like a drum. I can just remember <laughs> that he was so good. Um, so that that was that was an interesting experience. But to see you know you can get inspiration from anywhere. And, and you talk about um, I'm going to say his name wrong. Shapalabov. Shapalab. You know, yeah, he, yeah, he was yeah. he was a ball boy for for Nadal, wasn't he? And then he played him in the, in, the, in the tournament. Isn't that oh, right? That's, that's right. the story. Mm-hmm. You know, he played him in, in the same tournament. He was a ball player. So you get you know. It's, it's weird how it works out. Um, I can remember when I first uh, fell in, really fell in love with tennis. I was 15 years old, mm-hmm. and I went to Wimbledon for the first time. Oh, wow. Uh, when I was 15, a friend of mine from my local tennis club took me, and we watched. We had front row tickets for center court, and we watched Ivan Izovich play uh, Woodbridge. Oh, Woodbridge. what a match and, to watch. That's yeah, crazy. and we all started cheering for Woodbridge because he was getting absolutely beat up on. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't touch. And he started smiling and joking with us and laughing with us, and you know, he got a few covered a little you know, one-liners with us. And he was like, watch me break serve right now. You know, he's down to love 40. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously he couldn't touch even his, his serve, you know. And uh, I think he did break him once and he kind of gave us a thumbs up. So that was, oh, you know, just wa- wa- walking through, you know, Wimbledon at the age of 15 was when I thought, this is something I want to be involved in for wow. the rest of my life. Wow. So, you know, a, a lot of um, uh, uh, parents will come up to me sometimes say, you know, my kid's 13 years old and they're not sure if they really love tennis. And I'm like, Take them to the closest ATP tournament or take yes. them to the closest college match. You yes. know, they'll see, see, and I'm not saying they'll play at that level, but just to see the, you know, the excitement that people have when they watch players like that, and, you know, the excitement of the kids playing college tennis, which is obviously a little bit more realistic than, than playing right. on tour right. for most people. Um, but, you know, you, you can see that inspiration from everywhere. And, and going back to Asia, I actually think it's a bit of a sleeping giant still in tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, they produced, there's, there's a few players right now, like Nishikori and, and, and a couple more Japanese uh, guys. I can't remember their names right now. And the, um, the, the the guys from Korea that are pretty good. Yes. But I think I, th- I think there's a, there's a lot of potential in Asia. So maybe in oh, the next ten sure. years we'll, we'll see some of that come out. I mean, the girls are already have already done it. You know, with Lina. Oh, for sure. You know, and yeah. I, I think it you know speaks volumes to how tennis is a global sport. That yeah. You know. It, We have heroes and, you know, maybe, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, we had, you know, heroes that were definitely, you know, you know, you have your McEnroe, your Sampras, your Courier, your Connors, you know, you have these guys, you know, there's others that I, that I, you know, can't mention all, but 
you know, and, and then, you know, you're searching for a hero, but, but the world has changed a little bit. I mean, everything is so much more global where, you know, you can ask somebody, you know, from anywhere and they're, they're going to say, Oh, well, I like Nadal or, you know, yeah. Oh, well, Roger Federer. You know, I mean, yeah. because, because I, one of the things I love about our sport is how global that it is. Mm-hmm. And of course we have, you know, tremendous heroes, you know, and, and, you know, Serena and Venus Williams and, you know, yep. people that have done so much for our sport, but I, I do love the idea that of course we can cheer for our country and, and Davis cup. And we had Davis cup here in Birmingham, Alabama this year, which was amazing. That's right. Or actually last year, 17, this is 2018. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, to, to cheer for your country and, and is a huge thing with Davis cup and fed cup and the Olympics, but I love how global it is. I really yes. do. And so, you know, your time in Asia and then you've been other places too. Yes, spent some time in, uh, uh, coaching a little bit um, in Portugal mm-hmm. um, and that's Spain as well. I worked a, a, a little bit before I went to Asia. I went for a few months to the Sanchez Casal Academy and, and kind yes. of wrote to them. Back in those days, it wasn't email. And I right. wrote to them and I said, um, <laughs> can, I, can I come and work for free for a few months? Wow. And he just put me up room and board because I want to see how it goes. So that was, wow. that was pretty cool. And it's when Arantxa was still playing. So, oh, really? Um, yeah, oh, I got to hit. I got awesome. To, got to practice with her a couple of times she was so much better than me oh wow uh, i remember that um but it was it was pretty cool to see how they how they trained the kids then uh, you know mm. the, you know people say how, how does spain produce so much tennis players <laughs> tell, I, I know the reason why is there's tennis courts everywhere yeah. really, really <laughs> okay. nice ones too okay. and, and and people just they, they, they and the climate's great and they get off work you know i'm talking about your average businessman will get off work at five o'clock six o'clock and they'll go play tennis for a few hours wow you know which which doesn't happen in a lot of other countries and the average standard over there in Spain is really good. I saw two guys playing there um, at, a, at a local club. This club was six courts, you know, it's nothing too, too flashy. And I, I said to the, uh, the local coach there, I said, are these guys on tour or something? He's like, no, these are just like second team. You know, they play for our second team. I mean, they were so good, you know, <laughs> on the clay. And uh, so the, the average standard there is so high, that pushes everything up, you know. So we need, we need more tennis courts. We need more accessibility for for kids that might not be able to afford a $200 tennis racket and a $100 right. tennis lesson right. you know, in this country. So what we need to do is get the masses playing tennis. We really do. Um, and, and if that happens, yep. yeah, because there's such great athletes in this country. You look at the yes. NBA, you know, look at the NFL and stuff like that. You know, there's such great athletes in this country. If you get them playing tennis at a young age, we're going to be fine. I used to always say, I mean, can you imagine what would happen if, if you put Kobe on a, on a tennis yeah. court? <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Mean, who, who could Absolutely. beat Kobe Bryant? I mean, really. With, with his height and his movement, yeah. he'd, be, he'd be pretty darn good. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So when we talk about um, amazing things that happen, um, you know, you have been part of something that's been a really, really special thing for the United States in the Tennis Congress. Um, yes. So how did that all come about? And, and, you know, talk to us about your experience with the Tennis Congress. Oh, it's, it's, it's been, um, you know, it's so cliche to say kind of life-changing, but it kind of has been. <laughs> um, so, so the Tennis Congress, for people that don't know, is an adult amateur, um, I can't say fantasy weekend, it's more than that. It's an adult <laughs> amateur uh, tennis event uh, that is uh, catered towards anybody from a 2.5 to a 5.0 who is over the age of 21 who wants to be coached properly and doesn't want to be treated as kind of a lesson a week. Right. So these people come in and, you know, and, and the guy who started PJ Simmons, who's, who's a, a great guy, you know, him as well as I do. Uh, amazing um, person. Yeah. He started it uh, several years ago. I, I, I met him in Hilton Head at the PTR symposium. <laughs> so I've been to three or four of them now. So I've been to four of them now. I missed the first one. Mm-hmm. So I've been to two, three, You've four, been to four. Five. Yeah. Cause then yeah, I came in and I've done three. Yeah. 
That's right. Um, so, um, these, you know, these people who want to be taken seriously, so they do everything from, obviously, there's a lot of tennis, you know, lessons, group lessons, and they also do um, fitness sessions. They do mm-hmm. kind of mental toughness sessions, recovery sessions. Mm-hmm. They get personalized plans going, you know, as they leave the, the, mm-hmm. the tennis congress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really kind of opened my eyes to the fact that a lot of adults uh, are out there craving to um, to be treated um, as a little bit more than what we call in Britain hit and giggle, which is kind of, oh, that was great fun. We'll do some kind of fun <laughs> drills. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. And then the coach forgets about it for the week. You know, they want planning. They want to be taken seriously. They want to get from a, a three, five to a four, five, you know, right. they want to know right. how they're going to do that. And they want to be, you know, they want someone to say to them, look, you're not fit enough. You know, you need to, you need mm-hmm. to get on, the, on the, you know, you need to do some sprints with me and some stuff like that. And start mm-hmm. jumping rope and, you know, no matter how old you are, you know, everyone, everyone can get better. I strongly believe that. Absolutely. And I'm not saying everyone can get to play at a 5-0 level or above, but <laughs> everyone can get better. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I think for the coaches as well, the coaches love it as well because we all kind of, it's become, and again, this might sound cliche, but it's become a real kind of family environment there as well. So the coaches love going every year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you think, um, you know, mo- moving forward for you, what do you think are for, are sort of some next steps or, or goals for you in your career? I mean, you know, you, you have such a vast experience and you've done everything from, you know, beginning juniors and adults to, you know, coaching Davis Cup in Asia to, you know, being a member of the faculty of the Tennis Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what what's next for you, do you think? Um, that's a really good question. So what one of the things uh, that, that I've got... Uh, and, and Jenny, you know this, you know, you're a close friend of mine as well. It's like I've been a little bit sick lately. So uh, in the last year, I, got, I was diagnosed with um, AML, so leukemia. So I, I've kind of been in and out of the hospital. So I'm not actually working much at the moment. I've got about, I think, six months left in my recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it gives you a lot of time to do some thinking about what you really want to do in the tennis mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I just want to kind of continue what I'm doing. Um, I love coaching. And again, uh, I'll go back to this maybe for the third or fourth time. It's not a sign of a great coach, but... I, I think I'm a better high performance coach than anything else. Mm-hmm. So I love coaching kind of higher level 14 to 20 year olds because I think that's such an important time in someone's life as well. Um, you know, when, when, when you're 16 years old and you're a tennis player, you're, there's pretty much two pathways to go on. You're going to go on the pathway of, I'm going to really commit to this and play in college and I'm going to devote my life to it, you know, my lifestyle, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Or you take the other routes, which is, well, I'm pretty good you know, already. So I've kind of done the background work. Um, I'm going to go party now. I'm 16 years old and I'm going to get involved <laughs> in all these things. So, you know, it's so easy to kind of go on that wrong path as well. Sure, but, you sure. know, when you get to, when you get to 40 years old, you realize it's not the right path, <laughs> you know, and you've got to try and find many ways not to sound like an old man and be like, Oh, back in mind though. No. Cause we've all, you know, um, we've all had those experiences in our life. So it's kind of, I, I love coaching kids of that 14 to 20 year old age range to be oh, able to help so them with their life choices as well as not just becoming better tennis players. Ah, that is, that is excellent. So who, you know, so you're essentially sort of being a hero to these, or a mentor to these kids. You can also become a, a capacity of mentoring other coaches. Yeah. You know, who do you consider heroes or mentors? That's great. That's it's a really good question because there's so many in the, in the tennis world. So mm-hmm. the ones that had the most direct effect on, on, on my coaching career were definitely Dennis Vandermeer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I, I can remember being there in the, in the late 90s or mid 90s when I was in college on Hilton Head. And, and uh, it was kind of Dennis's heyday. Um, and I remember just, just how um, enthusiastic and, 
and uh, he had this absolute love for being a teacher, mm-hmm. which I think rubbed off on me a little bit because I, you know, I always think you're you're a teacher first and a coach second for sure. Absolutely. Yep. And Dennis was 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 probably the greatest teacher of tennis I've ever seen, and 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 he was very op- open to young coaches as well, and he kind of. Uh, you know, he, he took me to a couple of tournaments with him, kind of the Family Circle Cup, even though it was local, mm-hmm. um, and a couple more tournaments um, with him as kind of almost an assistant coach slash hitting partner. So he was so open to helping young coaches. Um, obviously, people who I haven't met who, who are also idols, and everyone idolizes Roger Federer. You know, so do <laughs> I. Just not just for the player he is, you know, he makes it look, but for the person he obviously is as well. You sure. know, his foundation yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yes. And then actually, one person who I've met once, and I'll never forget it, is Billie Jean King. Uh, so for what she did for women's sports in general uh, and uh, it really is it's, it's, it's you know you hear about people that walk in the room and they change the atmosphere of the room she's exactly that you know, she'd walk into the room and it was like Obama walking into the room or something the atmosphere would just change um, and she well, was we were, so we animated. were both there when she was inducted into it was that's PTR right. it was PTR's right. 40th anniversary I yeah. think yeah that's right yeah yeah, the Hall right. of Fame for them and she spoke and oh my goodness you're right I mean the, yeah, yeah the whole complexion the whole feel of the room changes when somebody like Billie Jean King walks in and it just goes, Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and she's, you know, she, you can tell that she's so, uh, well known. She's got so much knowledge, but she's also so humble at the same time. Oh, so unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my so goodness. Th- those, those would be my three heroes, Dennis Vandermeer, Roger Federer and Billie Jean King are kind of my, my heroes. I wouldn't say I'm a hero to everyone, maybe a mentor, but not a hero. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so so who would you most like to play doubles with <laughs> ah so doubles um sorry to be boring but i'd love to play doubles with federer i don't mm, think i could even, I, I, I wouldn't even be able to hold the racket I, i'd probably be so nervous <laughs> and then mix mix doubles um you know 100 with my wife ah uh, yes yeah for sure I, gotta, I have to say she's standing next to me with a hammer <laughs> no, <laughs> but no, I, I, I want to play mixed doubles with my wife, uh, definitely. Um, but but doubles with Roger Federer for sure. Oh my goodness, that that's yep. that's so much fun. So, yep. do you have um, any predictions for the uh, Australian Open? <laughs> I do. Um, yes, I, I think um, Federer is going to be very hard to beat. I just saw he won the Hopland Cup today, mm. and um, the, right. took the last two sets against the last two sets against Zverev, six that's nothing, right. six two. I think there was so, a drop I mean, shot in there somewhere. That's that's ridiculous. Um, beating, you know, taking taking two sets against Sarev Love and two is just. So if he stays fit, you know, if his back doesn't give him any grief, I think he's going to be still the man to beat. Um, for the women, it's wide open. I'd love to see Halep if she's not injured at the moment. I'd love to see Halep win it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, the, but the women are, are, are much more unpredictable. Um, I, I I would have said a couple of weeks ago that Sarev would be the man to beat for the men as well. Uh, so he's going to be hard to beat. And it would be nice to see one of the young kids like him or Dominic Thiem come up and. And, and win it. So for for uh, for 2018, what are some of your your goals? Um, do you do you have a player that you want to reach a, a certain round at a certain tournament, or get to get into a tournament, or you know what, what types of things do you want to see happen this year? Do you mean professionally, or, or kind of just for me? Uh, either or, both, yeah. whatever you yeah. want to say. <laughs> so what would I like to see in tennis in 2018? Is that what you mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, I would like to see one of the young guys and girls win a Grand Slam. Um, I'm a huge fan of Federer, Nadal, you know, Warinka, those guys like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Williams sisters, Sharapova, you know, I think they've done such great things for our sport. But I think it's time for one of the younger players to come up now. 
because um, they're not so young, you know, guys like Dimitrov and TM, you know, they're 23, 24, right, it's time, you know, it's so time it's, it's, it's yeah. time to go, guys. Let's go. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I, I'd love to see that. Um, I'd like to see um, tennis become much more accessible for everybody in the industry. For, for sure. Um, I'd like to see I'd, I'd like to see a lot more um, uh, young young kids playing who wouldn't have had a, an opportunity to do so otherwise. And I know there's a lot of programs in the States that do that anyway. So I commend them for that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. for example, there's one in Chicago called the Tennis Opportunity Program, mm-hmm. uh, which 100% of the kids there who've been through the program have gone to college. Oh, um, wow. So, yeah, I, I actually had a kid who went through that program. She was the first girl in her family to go to college. She's in her second wow. year now. Yeah, so it's, it's a pretty big thing. So mm-hmm. I'd like to see more things like that happening. Um, and I'd like to see, to, uh, to be honest, with more female coaches in the industry. Um, we're still at less than 30%, I think, mm-hmm. um, in the industry as a whole. And I think, uh, you know, we, we need to get that to 50%, you know, plain yep. and simple. So at least. So um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see a lot more female coaches in the industry. Oh, that, that's, that's, you know, Mike Barrell's doing a, a, a great job with his yep. initiative with the Girls Tennis Network. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the, the women's tennis coaching Yep. You know, you know, that that's been a really great thing that has started, um, you know, so I think there are, you know, great yeah. strides being made. But, you know, obviously more needs to happen to, mm-hmm. to reach these goals. But, um, you know, definitely the industry will be better because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, and it's kind of opened my eyes. You know, being obviously, you know, being being with my wife, and she's a, a, obviously a female coach. And, you know, it's kind of opened my eyes to to the differences that some people prefer a female coach, and some young girls might be much more comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. at the age of fourteen or fifteen, talking about certain things with a female coach, and and uh, you know, we need we need that in the industry. Absolutely. I mean, I think that you know, it it just speaks to you know not just the tennis industry, but but you know a greater good, you know, that the more diverse we are, you know, the more voices that we have, you know, it, it, it just makes all of us better. Yeah, it does. It really does. You know, so we're, we're, we're stronger when, when we all have a voice and have something to bring and people mm-hmm. can listen and learn from each other. So mm-hmm. that, that's, Absolutely. you know, something that I, I know I've experienced in my career <laughs> and from you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so what's next? What's next for you this year? For me, um, getting healthy. Yep, <laughs> yep, number yep. one priority is getting healthy, <laughs> um, and then as soon as I'm healthy, getting you know, come, uh, my, my goal is to come back stronger and uh, and uh, fitter and stronger than before, and, and, and more energetic and more enthusiastic. So that's what's what's next for me is uh, you know I'm spending the time when I'm not on court uh, doing a lot of reading, um, a lot of writing, uh, mm-hmm. and, and kind of. You know, I'm, I'm itching to get back out there, but I just can't at the moment. You know, I just, mm-hmm. uh, just four, four days ago got out of hospital. I've been in there for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you, you can't go and teach tennis <laughs> lessons when you're, in, right. when you're in University of Miami Hospital. But, um, it's, you know, <laughs> just, just, just to come back stronger and fitter than ever and, 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 and dive back in deep to the tennis industry and enjoy teaching because uh, it's what I love to do. I love to teach. Well, I know I, I know, I speak for, you know, the whole industry when I say that, that we all want that for you, you as well. Um, we're all better when you're better. So <laughs> thank you very so, much. So thank you. Well, well, Ollie, oh my goodness, this has been amazing. Is there anything else you want to say to our listeners out there? You know, we, 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 um, this has been, this has been amazing. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, the tennis industry is a small place. Uh, it is. And I, I, I think a lot of people that are, uh, are listening to this podcast, I'll know personally, uh, just thank you very much everyone for all your support in the last, you know, the last nine months has been challenging for Milena and I, and I just want to thank everyone, you know, uh, from the bottom of our heart for all your support. 
Uh, well, thank you. Thank, thank you. And, and much love to you and Melena. And, and thank you for taking some time um, out today to, to, you know, do this podcast and have no some problem. fun. My it's, pleasure. Always, it's always great. So thank you so much. And, and we'll, we will speak again. We will do, we'll do, we another, will, we'll do another, well, I mean, we'll talk again, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but another good. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much. All right. Thank Take you. Take care. <laughs>